Genre. to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Zoe Clark from the TV show Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And joining the discussion are producer Andrew. Hello. And his wife, Kestra Dorowski. Hello. Welcome back, Kestra. Thank you. Very glad to have you on. Andrew, it's always a pleasure when you're able to jump in on the discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where we talk about how we get into this. I need to say... I watched this show because of your recommendation. So, uh, how did you guys discover Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist? There was a preview, or there was, there was a, a commercial for so it, it at some point. It started in January. So, they released the pilot middle of January, I believe, and uh, it then released the, or then it showed the, the network showed the pilot again in at the end of February. I think it was at the end of February. Um, so there's like a month, month and a half where they just had the pilot out. And I can't remember where we were where we saw it, but, but then we were we like, saw we saw a commercial for it before the pilot even started. So sometime last year Yeah. We would have seen that commercial. And I don't know what we would have seen it attached to, but it, like we don't watch that much cable TV anymore. So, right. Maybe it was on social media you saw. It's so weird. But, but, I, but I feel like it was... Anymore. I feel it, like it was... It must have been on, like, Hulu ad or a or a YouTube ad or... Or sometime when we were with family, or, there was something... Yeah. Over the holidays. Something something over the holidays. Something was on TV over the holidays. We, I mean, somebody left on It's a Wonderful Life or something. And, <laughs> and this came on as a commercial. And we're like, oh, that was interesting. Watching it with, with family. Like, interesting premise. I like that. And so when the... Um, the pilot dropped on Hulu. We knew we were planning on watching it. Yeah. And then we did, and we really liked it. Mm-hmm. And then you recommended it to me, and uh, I definitely enjoyed it, and it's one that we've talked about a couple times on our quick cast, particularly since there's no new media <laughs> to talk about. Mm-hmm. We, we did circle back and cover that I, I had fully caught up um, on this, and the premise of the show is a little unique. Does one of you want to give the the like brief uh, elevator pitch of... Of this this uh, series, me okay. Uh, so Zoe is uh, she's uh, what's what's her job? Computer she, programmer. Computer programmer. Yeah, it's um, like like a like a Google type tech company, Apple, Google. Yes. Yeah, and she it goes into an MRI uh, to have an MRI at, during an earthquake. Or an earthquake happened. Well, yeah. The- <laughs> it wasn't scheduled. It wasn't, it wasn't planned. If only it. I can get in that MRI during the earthquake. And she uh, then realizes that she has this power now to be able to hear other people's innermost thoughts through the expression of song and dance. But pop songs. This is a jukebox musical. Yeah, gen- not- generally, like. Pretty common pop songs. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's been anything unusual. Opera? Has there been? When Max comes in after... Oh, yeah. So, I- including historical pop. Yes. Popularity, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, when you hear that, you're like, okay, well, that's that's a hook on which you can hang a show. Uh, but I think the show does a really good job of developing some interesting uh, interpersonal character interactions that go beyond just the the kind of unique premise 
Um, I, th I think with that premise, you, you sometimes you would get like a really good pilot and maybe a few episodes, and you might feel like, well, I'm not caring anymore. Uh, yeah. If the focus just becomes on the songs, but this show strikes a good balance of emotional heft uh, and, and you caring about what's happening to uh, both the the. I, I mean, there is a romantic element of it, but mm -hmm. really, you're caring about a lot of the other. Uh, personal moments that are happening with an ailing father, with um, a couple who are about to become parents for the first time, and the, the nerves that they're feeling, mm -hmm. uh, that, that depart from a lot of the, like, will they, won't they driving force of so many shows. And that's definitely part of this. But. Yeah, and, and, and there's also an ongoing, um, I mean, her, her father is dying. Mm -hmm. You know, he has, he has a terminal illness, and his, his um, functionality is decreasing over the course of the, the show. And so there are a couple of hooks behind, beyond just the... Like, here's the premise. Like, mm -hmm. she hears people sing songs. And it's it's like, okay, you could do that and you could make it all about, you know, people having crazy emotional outbursts and things like that. But what they've really done is taken it and said, okay, but, like, this is about confronting the fact that people around you are feeling things. And so often we ignore that. And and this is about her realizing what people are feeling and, and confronting the fact, like, okay, people are feeling stuff. What do I – what is my – responsibility to help other people when they are feeling emotional distress. You know, like these only happen, these songs only happen when there's some sort of intense emotion. And generally, I mean, they kind of debate it throughout the series. It seems like a lot of it is based on, okay, if you hear a song, it means you're supposed to do something for that person. And, you know, dealing with the idea of, okay, when you recognize the emotions in another person, it should spark something inside you. It should trigger something that creates empathy. And, and this is, you know, giving her the easy access to that. Um, and, the, and they set it up that she's, you know, not well connected with people. She doesn't have tremendous social skills or social grace. She's not very good at helping. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she's not very well versed in the music um, industry. Yeah. And so she has to try and understand it's like, okay, but what does this song mean for this person in this moment? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean that I'm supposed to acknowledge in them? Like and they establish that she has to go look up some of the song's lyrics and stuff. Because in the first episode, she she's listening to podcasts. She's not listening to, to music. music. Um, so she's not really into music as much as, like... Some people. Well, like her, her, her neighbor becomes a confidant, Mo. Yeah, yes. and and Mo knows everything about music. Mm -hmm. Mo's a DJ, and yeah, and and yeah. loves loves music. music as the the whole background, constantly listening to music in headphones instead of listening to podcasts. Mm -hmm. And Zoe is you know learning about all this stuff. But I think the the hook that really like gets people in is that emotional hook. It's not the premise of what if you could hear people singing songs. It's really about okay, but what if you we're understanding what other people were feeling. What if you were dealing with emotions? And then they also like stack onto that some pretty heavy emotional content with the dying father and the, the birth of her brother's um, child and all that sort of stuff. It's like, okay, but like people feel emotions and we don't deal with that a ton, even, mm -hmm. even in TV, you know, and sitcoms and, and entertainment. Like when we talk about how we're supposed to be like pulling on your heartstrings, like, but let's talk about what emotions really mean to people. Yeah. So uh, we've kind of given you a, a lot about the premise, started to dig in a little bit more, but uh, a little bit more about the show here. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist premiered on January 7th, 2020 on NBC, and I think that was that preview that you had mentioned before it really kicked into uh, airing weekly episodes mm -hmm. in February. Uh, it was created by Austin Winsberg. It stars Jane Levy as Zoe Clark, 
Uh, and we are going to be discussing episode number two, which was titled Zoe's Extraordinary Best Friend. And that was written by Austin Winsberg and directed by Adam Davidson. In it, Zoe tries to deal with her developing romantic feelings for one coworker while dodging the romantic feelings another coworker has for her. Um, and uh, obviously there's a few other plot lines that are going to be coming along. Um, but that's kind of the, the basic premise of this, which does feel very romantic comedy classic sitcom feeling, but the show doesn't feel like a sitcom. It definitely is in that dramedy category where yeah. there's, there's a mix of um, lighthearted moments, but also the heavy personal stuff yeah. uh, is, is going to be centered a lot. A little bit of trivia. The first season had 12 episodes uh, that aired. Uh, at the moment, they're all available on Hulu. Uh, I, if you get NBC's Peacock, I would imagine it would be on there because it's an NBC show. With all the streaming services, we never know where these shows are going to end up after we've recorded this. Um, but at the moment right now, it is available on Hulu. Um, it has been set, picked up for a second season. This was filmed in British Columbia, and I just have to imagine they put out a call for every Broadway-oriented actor or actress in British Columbia to come help, because there's some pretty intense uh, choreographed dance numbers. We're, we're talking like, like 50 people in some cases, I would plus, say. Plus. Yeah. 50 plus, I'm sure. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it is... Um, when we say that there's musical performances, it goes all out for these musical performances. And some of them, uh, it's going to vary on, uh, you know, which, which character is it. So Lauren Graham is in the show. She never gets the big dance numbers because she's not as trained as a dancer. Uh, like, like her, her choreography is just different than what we get for some of the other uh, mm -hmm. characters and certainly for a lot of the background ones. But I think in every episode, there's at least one fairly large scale musical uh, performance that happens. I think so. Yeah. Um, any other trivia that you guys want to touch on before we jump into the summary for episode number two? Um, I mean, so we were looking up uh, where it was filmed, and it showed that it was filmed between September and January, and that's pretty, like... It seems fast to do this many musical numbers. Yes, yeah. Because it's like, it's like six or seven musical numbers per mm -hmm. episode. I think this one has three, but uh, definitely there are some with more than mm -hmm. this episode. Yeah, and if I'm remembering properly, and I could be off on my numbers, but Mandy Moore, uh, the choreographer for all of the musical numbers, as far as I'm aware, she said that uh, at one point that there were about 60 uh, musical numbers that were filmed, or 62 or something like that. Which was 12, yeah. yeah and, that's so but, <laughs> but, like, there was, like, a couple that didn't show. Yeah, I think 50-some-odd aired. Yes, yeah. So I wonder if that's rights issues or cut for time or didn't fit the story as well. I think, well, because it's NBC, I know they don't have a ton of rights issues because they, they own the NBC Universal Music Catalog. Yeah, so the, the NBC Catalog is available. I mean, in the pilot, they use Help from the Beatles. And it's like, that's, <laughs> like, if that's not... That's not the, just available for NBC, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, like, and so they, I'm sure they, like, do some rights work, but... Also, they try to take advantage of the available catalog. But I'm like, okay, that's a that's a big pull. Like, that's yeah. bold to put in your pilot is to get rights for the Beatles. Yeah. So it's probably, like, editing and not contributing to a plot as much. I will say, like, this is minor. There were a couple numbers throughout the series where I was like, I'm not sure, like, what this is supposed to be revealed about the character. Like, if it's mm -hmm. the classic Broadway, like, I want song, and, and this is maybe an issue of Jukebox musicals, where, like, you're, you're taking songs that 
had one setting and now trying to put it somewhere else and and and, and sometimes the meaning didn't always connect as fully for for some of the songs as for others for some it was like right on the nose it was like that was the perfect song choice but for some others i'm like i liked that performance but i don't know how, what i learned about a character from, yeah from yeah and, and occasionally they have you know smaller numbers that are kind of just solos of that character singing mm-hmm. um instead of the full-on musical numbers yeah exactly All right, well, before we jump into the summary of this episode, we want to thank you for downloading and for listening, and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and... um, we don't give updates on our fantasy box office anymore. There is no fantasy <laughs> box office. The idea of a box office is a fantasy right now. Yes. Um, that, that's the true fantasy. <laughs> yes. Uh, but all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. I really need to update that ad read. <laughs> that's not Okay, here's the summary for this episode. And there are multiple plot lines that, uh, in the nature of an episode of television, like you get the intro of this one plot line, now the intro of the second plot line, the intro of the third, and then, you know, part two of those. I'm going to, like, dis... Yeah, untangle those and just tell you what happens in each plotline just for a little bit of clarity. And, and it can be especially confusing because Zoe is the main character, so everything is following her. There really isn't much that happens without Zoe in this episode. There's um, a little bit. Yeah, there's there's a little bit that happens outside of her um, direct sphere of mm-hmm. observation, but generally throughout the show, she is the linchpin, and so you've got to file, kind of follow everything that she's doing in different areas of her life. There's a lot that is on Jane Levy's shoulders. Uh, for, for yeah. the show, she did uh, like um, listening to the Office Ladies podcast when they, uh, which is behind the scenes uh, podcast about uh, all their work on the Office, uh, like with, with actors and writers and directors and some of the actors they have on. They're like, I loved it. We got an episode. I was like, I got one scene. Sweet. My paycheck's the same. I show up for work one day. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the rest of the time, I don't have to be on set. Uh, and, but Jane Levy never has that on this show. Yeah, a lot of shows <laughs> have a more ensemble feel, and mm-hmm. it's like this really critically. Like, she is filming all the time. Yeah, yeah. there's Jane, and then, like, another category yeah, that has, like, yeah. ten people in yeah. that, yeah. and then below that mm-hmm. more. So. Okay, uh, in this episode, Zoe's landlord, Mo helps reset the premise of the series, because this is coming right after the pilot. We find out that Zoe hears songs that act as other characters in her monologues. Zoe has a crush on Simon, a, no- a new co-worker who is engaged. Last episode, Zoe's best friend and co-worker, Max, sang a love song to her, which has freaked Zoe out. At work, Zoe has a new position as team leader, but is distracted during her first meeting by Max singing the Jonas Brothers Sucker to her. After the meeting, Max invites Zoe to go to eat at a new restaurant, which flusters her. After meeting with Mo at her regular coffee shop, she hears the barista and the patron sing, I want to dance with somebody. So Zoe decides to set up the barista with Max. Um, later on at work as the new team leader, Zoe spirals a bit, and instead of delegating duties to her co-worker, she pulls an all-nighter coding herself. She gets the project done, but is struggling with her new leadership role. After consulting with Simon, the co-worker she has a crush on, Zoe opens up with her team, revealing that she really does want to rely on them moving forward, and she's going to try and be a better leader. Uh, now we mentioned that Zoe's dad is, uh, has a terminal illness and is non-communicative, and this is driving her mom nuts, uh, because her brother found a buzzer, which has a very annoying sound <laughs> that can, uh, with which he can now communicate yes or no uh, and she is trying to understand what he wants to communicate. Zoe visits and hears him sing a song, Moon Dance, which she interprets as a desire for a romantic evening but then after talking things over uh, with her mom later she realizes this really just represents his dad's, her dad's desire to tell his wife how much he loves her. That's what he was wanting to communicate. The end. That's a really yeah. tight summary. 
you've talked about before, musicals make things a little bit easier because that's, you know, yeah, five minutes yeah, that you yeah, don't yeah. have to talk about. Yeah, and especially with this, like, there's a lot of screen time devoted to the musical numbers. Like, mm-hmm. full choreography and impressive dance work. Um, this episode maybe didn't have the most intense, I guess there's a dream sequence at the very beginning that is kind of brushed over that has the mm-hmm. biggest of the dance numbers for this yeah. episode, yeah. Um, where there's a full dance ensemble around her. But there's some other episodes, um, there's one episode with uh, a couple that's breaking up, that, like, choreography for me, like, sometimes it's, like, visually interesting, but it never, like, moves me. The the choreography with the couple is singing a breakup song, it was like, ooh, that dance actually emotionally affected me, like the dancing did, which is not something I typically feel <laughs> about dance. And so I really do want to, uh, you know, give respect to Mandy Moore's choreography mm-hmm. on this series. I think they emphasize choreography more so in this show than, as far as I know, any of the other shows that I've seen that were doing musicals like like glee or anything like that i feel like they really want to critically say like yes it's about the song but we are going to convey a lot of that through the motion and we're going to do a lot of like we're, we're stepping up the choreography more than most of the the musical tv shows oh i did want to give a quick shout out to listener megan who in one of our quick casts when we talked about uh zoe's extraordinary playlist she sent uh, uh some videos of um, a college where she had worked was being transformed into the workspace that Zoe works at in this and you you see some cool behind the scenes uh, stuff uh, you know about how this show was made I think this this show NBC had a lot of trust in it and, and put a lot of promotion behind it and as part of that they also did lots of social media behind the scenes stuff um, that, that is available which I really appreciate because along with the choreo- choreographing the cast itself they Manny Moore also had to choreograph the cameraman because there are several songs where it's one shot of the of at least a portion of the song if not the entire song itself and the cameraman has to move around furniture and and move uh, around cast and and everything and it's it's really intense and we've seen a couple of videos um that they that have been posted of showing the behind the scenes where the cameraman is moving and his spotter is is spotting him and it's yeah. really intense and really cool. Yeah, and most of the space that they're working in, um, I, what which is it? Single camera or three camera? This is single camera this sitcom. Single camera. You know, if you were going to call a sitcom, which means that um, they are generally working in space that's fully realized. There's walls on all four sides mm-hmm. um, around this camera, and so they have they really have to maneuver. Um, yeah, carefully, like you know, the, the, the furniture's on wheels, so they can create some space, and and maybe some of the walls mm-hmm. are on on wheels. Or, I, I suspect or something, in the but, home, some of those walls were fake um, walls because in some of the choreography, I'm like, how did the cameraman get that angle? There must not actually be a wall behind him. Yeah. <laughs> which which is possible, but it it means that they have to work within the space, and and they they have to be extra careful with their maneuvering because this camera's turning in all the different directions, and so they can't have cords lying around. They can't have lighting. Uh, yeah, they can't have lighting lying around. They can't have directors or or grips or anybody you know any of the usual behind the camera you know crew yeah visible you know they have to all be hidden behind something and and that's an extra challenge just in in general filmmaking never mind the the musical numbers and choreography and all that sort of stuff so some really impressive work that gets done for these numbers and and i mean they really pushed it in the finale they did a seven minute sequence that's a single shot and it took them you know a whole day to to get it but you know they they are pushing to get this right with a lot of rehearsal and and practice and and choreographing and and 
careful placement of a lot of complex things. Yeah. There's, um, I just, just think about this and how much we're talking about, like the choreography for these, there's, there's a TV critic who I enjoy a lot of what he writes and he, um, was talking about recently trying out Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist and he said it didn't take for him after four episodes because, and it sounds like maybe he's just jukebox musicals as things. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it felt, it felt like a lot of the action stopped to hear a character sing a song, which basically revealed that character's sad. Uh, and he's like, it didn't work for him that it was just the jukebox out. And that's fine. That that's not his thing, but it, it made me kind of think about, um, just the, the nature of this style of storytelling with a TV show like Arrow. It's like, okay, well we're getting story, story, story. And now it's going to stop. There's going to be a five minute fight scene and it's like, you know, someone's going to win, mm-hmm. but it, but it's like, how are they going to do the fight scene is it can be one of the visually interesting things. It's like, like, okay, yeah. how are they going to make this interesting? And I think this is like, okay, yes, we're going to stop and sing. And that's, you, you have to accept that that's part of the premise for this kind of series, the way fight scenes are for those superhero shows. Um, and if that's not in, you know, if that doesn't work for you, fine. That's, you know, it's just not for you. Uh, but they take the time and care to make, the song special where it's not just someone, um, you know, standing up and, you know, everyone else still working in the background while they just, you know, sing one thing. They're like doing full dance numbers. Yeah. Uh, with this. And, and I think some of the, the difference, um, that you can see with this versus a typical musical environment where like you're talking about, you know, somebody is just going to shout it to the audience is they're also telling it to a character in the show. And so part of the point of having these musical numbers is like, okay, it's not just that now we all know that this person said, it's like, okay, but now one of the other characters knows that this person said, and what does that mean? You know, and that makes a difference in the overall dynamic of the story. You know, and, that is, that is the premise. And especially in, in this episode, she had at right bef- in, at the end of the pilot, she had just found out that her best friend, Max, uh, is in love with her. And it's hard for, it's hard for her because now she knows that that he loves her, but he doesn't know that she knows. And she right, doesn't, he, he hasn't conveyed this intentionally. Yeah, and she doesn't know how to like how to handle this situation, <laughs> especially now that she's been given a position of higher rank than him in in their jobs, and it's just really hard for her. And then he's inviting her to this restaurant, and she's just like. Uh, no, I'm going to set you up with someone else, even though she's like, she's, she probably wants to go to that restaurant. She, she doesn't know how to act now that she knows that her best friend loves her. Well, and even like her crush on Simon, like, yes, she's physically attracted to him, but they form an emotional bond because he finds out that she has a terminal father. She finds out that his father uh, just died, and he's really struggling with how how to uh, make peace with mm-hmm. with his father's passing. So there's this emotional trauma that is bonding them, uh, even as she's trying to figure out her romantic feelings uh, that she has for him, and particularly when she also learns that he's engaged uh, to be married. Like there's, there's you know layers that are that are going to be built up uh, to problematize any of these potential romantic pairings uh, on the show. Of course, there's going to be obstacle and obstacle uh, yeah. for all of these, but I like that they took the time to say, no, this isn't just two people who are attracted to each other and he's engaged. So he feels really awkward about it. It's like, no, he has a legitimate emotional bond that he can communicate with her about that is going to make her feel closer to him as mm-hmm. she is struggling to try and figure out what her feelings actually are, you know? Yeah. Him. And, um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the big points of the show is dealing with, you know, like the question and the concept in, in humanity of, okay, what is my responsibility when I know what someone's emotions are? And then there's also the questions like, okay, what is my responsibility when I know because they told me? And what is my responsibility 
when I know because they didn't tell me. Right. You I know, and heard or, or I read, or I read something. Yeah, sure. And just, so like, you know, what is her accountability or, to or, Max? Or someone told me this and, and now yeah. I'm supposed to act like I don't know. And we've all been in, in all of those situations mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I'm, I wasn't supposed to know that somebody felt this way. And now I know, so what do I do and how does that affect the relationship? And so there's, you know, familiar territory, even though we've got the the magical realism of, of the songs and everything. And and she's not very good at handling all of these things. You know, she doesn't know what to do because it's like, okay, I know Max is in love with me. What am I supposed to do about that? Because he didn't tell me, so I can't, you know, there's like, I can't acknowledge it, but I also don't want to encourage it, But I but he's my friend. And yeah. so it's like, the complex emotions. And then you also see her making selfish decisions based on that. It's like, well, I know this other person's lonely. Maybe I can just push them together and that'll solve my problem. And, and really, like, she, she shouldn't know that the barista is desperate for yeah. a relationship. Yeah. But, you know, she just overhears the song. I want to I mm-hmm. dance with somebody. Is that what yeah. like? I'm going to get the title right. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to point out, choreography on that one has, like, a, a dance interlude. <laughs> um, and I think that one's one of the really pretty choreography sequences. Mm-hmm. And it's the first one that they established that she can't, that Zoe can, um, her power, sometimes when she hears a song, time stops, and sometimes she can communicate. Yeah, there's a lot it. of hand-waviness yes. about yes. how her power works. And, and they, I think they're using that to establish, like, look, we know we're, we're waving this away, like, we have to be able to deal with, like, some freedom here. Yeah, there's no strict rules for, uh, how many people are, are going to be singing at any given time, if... This is, like you said, a slice of time that for her is 10 seconds, but it feels like two minutes of yeah. someone performing a song. It's whatever the story needs in that moment. And, mm-hmm. and they establish, like you said, you just said, because we're like, this is right now. We're going to be flexible with this, guys. And we know, like, this whole premise doesn't work if you try to put logic to it. And yeah. so we're just going to ignore the logic for this. And now we're going to lean into the emotional side of it. Yeah. yeah and, it, and it really is about that emotional side and and. Like I said, what do you do when you know someone's emotions, um, whether they told you or not? Also, and I think uh, this is maybe kind of the point of the show to some degree is, okay, now you, viewer, what is your accountability to people when you don't know their emotions? Because a lot of the time you don't get the benefit of people singing a song to you. Or but you still... Like, we're, pretty, we're pretty buttoned up, emotional yeah. culture. And, <laughs> but you still have an accountability to be careful for other people mm-hmm. and to, to try and care for other people and try to, to help them because people are feeling all these things. I mean, that that's one of the big things in the first episode when she builds her connection to Simon is she hears him sing a very sad, depressed song. And there was no evidence of that. And it's like, okay, what do I, what do I do to help this person that I know is suffering, but I shouldn't know is suffering. And then you as the viewer can say, there's people who I don't know are suffering. Mm-hmm. But I can be beneficial to them if I would just talk to them in a sensitive way or try to connect in some way. Like there's, you know, I think a, a really positive, useful and, and beneficial message coming out of the show for moments like that. And uh, and we've it's it's opened up conversations, especially between Andrew and I, as we've watched the show um, on how we would handle like a certain situation if something like that happened. Uh, and we knew what happened and other shows they they tend to more bottle up emotion be like no you shouldn't like you shouldn't express it's crossing the line to even open Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. you know or or they show the emotion to the audience but not to other characters like you have those emotional outbursts 
just for just for the viewer. And it's like, now I know this person's suffering, but nobody else knows. And, yeah. And putting and, a character in there. And different. this and this show is is showing that no, it is okay, and it's actually kind of right to open up. Now, don't open up to everybody, <laughs> but like you should you should be able to express yourself to a couple of people and and let them help you when you need that help. I think one thing that the show ends up doing, and I don't know that it was this intention, but I think it's something you take away is, is like every one of these characters could be the protagonist because they are the protagonists of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Every one of these characters is living their own life and they give us enough depth to know they're going through something. This is what their experience is right now. And often side characters on shows, it's just like they're there for a punchline. But they give you know, the, the jerky co-worker, you know, uh, a backstory. They give... Uh, the brother that's expecting the first child and should, you know, uh, uh, for first appearance should be, you know, super excited about this life moment. Like, lots of emotional baggage yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that, that get layered in. Um, and, and so, like, the idea that, like, anyone you talk to in life, if you assume they're going through something that's hard for them, you're probably right. Yeah, every, uh, everyone's know, facing something. We just don't know what it is. In this show, Zoe's finding out what everyone's hard thing is. And yeah. discovering that that coworkers that she doesn't really think about as anything other than like oh you you code really well have you know again they're the protagonists of their own stories <laughs> you know they, they've got a world that they're living in that's not going the way they want it to uh, in, in some aspect be it mm-hmm. uh, work life balance be it uh, romantic relationships be it uh, ailing ailing parents uh, or, or or difficult uh, you know parent child relationships like all these things are explored. And, and I think that's really interesting the way you were laying out, you know, everyone's the protagonist of their own story. Even, like, the coworkers that she doesn't get along with are actively antagonizing her, but it's not because they especially dislike her or anything. It's because her presence is somewhat inconvenient in their, in their journey, you know, in the... Like, you know, she, she, she gets promoted to the position they and, all thought and, they were going to get. Yeah, and other yeah. people wanted that position, and it's like, okay, well, that's inconvenient. I don't hate her. Mm-hmm. But she's in my way, and so for my journey, you know, that's going to be a problem. But then you also, th- then we, you know, humanize and are forced to empathize with them when they express, like, the challenges that they're dealing with or the pressure that they feel from their families and all these things. It's like, oh, okay, so, like, yeah, they're not just jerks. They're not there to be evil. They're not there to be sinister. They are dealing with their own stuff, and, and sometimes that is going to create incidental conflict to our main character. You know, and like I said, they're not actively most of the time trying to undercut her or undermine her or or destroy her or anything. You know, nobody in this show is doing anything evil. Mm-hmm. And but then, like, will they do things that are problematic for her or challenging for her? Yes, because they're not thinking about trying to take care of her. And that's something that this specific episode touches on is making sure that other people know that you do care um, because she ends up going to Simon and asking for suggestions because she's having really bad conflict with all of with with her her team her team yeah new manager struggling to lead a team yeah and and he's like well let them know that you care show them show them somehow that you care for them and she ends up reading her journal entry from their, her first day on the job um, not as manager just on the job as an employee working for SparkPoint, the company. And and she reads these really nice things that she said about about those employees, given they only mentioned 
three in that specific moment. <laughs> yeah, just, but, just, just <laughs> the ones that we actually engage with in the well, show. And, <laughs> and two that no longer work there. But, <laughs> um, but the three characters who are like secondary characters in the in the show secondary and tertiary characters the actors who are going to get residuals yeah, later like, on in this in the, if the series carries yes. on they get name checked right yeah like <laughs> yes, the exactly. regulars <laughs> yeah. and, and she tells them really nice things she's like you're a really great coder i can't believe i'm working with you this is a dream come true you're my now my best friend like it's it's just um it shows that you do need to let people know that you do care for them if you want them to respect you as well. You mentioned Sparkweight. One thing about the show that maybe doesn't work as well for me, like so much of the plot is about the Sparkpoint watch, which feels about five years too late, tech world-wise. <laughs> yes. This, I mean, this show is supposed to take place... This season is supposed to take place in 2020, which I mean, they, is, they had some work. weird stuff because they talked about March Madness and that all got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's a little awkward. Yeah, they're like, this is 2020 and March Madness. And I'm like, no. Uh, I, I'm not going back when we watched since March Madness got canceled. But yes, that would definitely stick out. It was right around when March Madness was supposed to take place. And so it was right when yeah. it got canceled. Like, he really wants to watch March, March Madness. Not this year. Like, like the idea of generic tech company, that all works, but like specific projects they're working on, I'm like, mm. this doesn't feel kind yeah. of edge. Yeah, yes. it's like, maybe you guys should steer clear of those specifics. Yeah, yeah. just leave it as an ambiguous work project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, just coding gobbledygook. That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <so>. Um, <laughs> I've got to say, every time I see the sign for the company, and it, it took me like three episodes to realize oh. it, but I still I still think of it as Spork Point. <laughs> Because it's it's S P R Q, Q and so I, I I like transpose an O space, and so I was like, why are they called Spork Point? And, See, and, and then they kept saying, "Is oh Spark Point?" I still think Spork. And for the longest time, I I just automatically saw S P Q R, not Spark, <laughs> right. and I was like, oh, I get it. Why they're saying Spark now? When I finally realized. Which, having a, a poorly designed name, d- does work for a, an upstart tech company. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, should we break down some specifics about several of the main characters that we see throughout the series and, and in this episode? Sure. So, we've talked, a, like, a good bit about Zoe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, should we move on to others? I just want to point out real quick, Zoe's, if, like... They speak of the hand wavingness. They just hand wave that she has this power now, which is fine. I, when it comes to magical realism, I actually prefer prefer just like this thing has happened versus like here's the convoluted scientific explanation. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't worry. Or, about or that. mythological. Explanation. Yeah, don't, don't worry about that. But if there was a higher power that had selected someone to receive this gift of seeing people's inner needs, they should have chosen someone else besides Zoe because she's not very good at helping. <laughs> also. They never get back to what her MRI results were, and she got an MRI because of her her father's ailment and checking for checking genetic for genetic stuff. But yeah. like, what's what's the what was the results? <laughs> yeah. um, um, so who else should we talk? Should about? we talk about Max and Simon real quick? Okay, those are probably yeah the, like the next the, tier. They're romantic leads. Yeah. Um. So Max is her best friend who is interested in her, and Simon is the new coworker whom she is interested in. Right. Yeah. And and throughout the season, like there's, I mean, it's, it flows it's, for yeah, both it's, of these. it's yeah. it's love triangle stuff and and all of that. Quadrangle and, times, and you're supposed to get into a like Team Max or Team Simon thing, which we won't get into a ton because <laughs> Kestra and I have had some disagreements about what team we are on. So you have to watch the the, the first season, which 
Yeah, the, the arc of the first season is really about her and her father well, yeah, more and than I, this. And I, I should have mentioned that earlier when you were talking about, um, you know, like, emotional hook. Like, the through line for the season really is, like, okay, she has her power, but this is going to help as her father dies. And, and this is, like, the... I think it's in the pilot when her her dad sings to her in the pilot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, that, that, the that, first that, time that's the finale. It, yeah, yeah, and, that's and, the finale of the pilot, and I remember that feeling like, oh, this show actually knows what it's doing with this premise. This isn't just mm-hmm. a cute thing. Which I think goes to the the creator. I think the, the creator had a parent die of this disease. Yes, um, and and so they have very first hand knowledge. And then um, also the um, the actor playing her dad. Um, Peter Capaldi? No, 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 that's the doctor. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> not Peter Capaldi. That's the doctor. He has crazy eyebrows, too. It was the crazy eyebrows, I think, is what put me on Peter Capaldi. Uh, um, uh, uh, Gallagher. Yeah. Yeah, Peter Gallagher. Yeah. Um, and he's talked about performing the role and how it's helped him, you know, think back to the loss of his parents and, um, and all this sort of stuff. And it's something that a, a lot of fans have attached to is like, okay, this is about losing a parent, but also being able to have that last emotional connection. And and so she kind of thinks of it as, like, okay, maybe this is a, a blessing because I get to have this last connection mm-hmm. with, with my dad. And that's that's the real emotional gut punch of the the pilot. Right. Is saying, okay, like this power is crazy and that's super disruptive and, and terrible. And then she's talking to her dad and he sings to her and it's just a huge emotional release for her mm-hmm. um, to deal with that. And in this one, she she's helping her dad um, express an emotion instead of receive receiving an emotion from him. Yeah, but as I say, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Say like in this twelve episode season, um, because the the bulk of the arc is about her and her parents. Uh, like the romantic stuff doesn't get resolved. Like we don't know mm-hmm. how you know it, it's left dangling for season two to pick up. Yeah, what's yeah. gonna happen? Um, but within the nature of serialized storytelling, when the romantic plots are so like triangular or quadrangular <laughs> as we get in this one sometimes like by the end I was a little exhausted with all the options like mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like you've burned a lot of bridges all of you <laughs> yeah and, uh, and I think I mean still somehow TV shows feel like they need to string out that drama it's like I don't think I think there's enough history of like no it's okay like people can get together it's fine yeah like, it's, it's had a good yeah. 30 year run it's like, of being the go to uh, trope yeah. for, for network television yeah it's like but no, really. Like people still watched Frasier after Niles and Daphne got together. Mm-hmm. People still watched Chuck after after they got together. You know, people will still watch the shows if you if you if, care if, about the characters. Yeah, if you if you stick to the heart of it, and and if the will they won't they is the heart of it. Okay, then you're. What are you doing? But um, on that note, Andrew and I have, even though we've disagreed on, <laughs> I just on need to know which who's on which team. Max, I am. More in favor of Simon, largely because I have more critical feelings towards Max. Um, and Kestra's very firmly in favor of Max. Yeah, yeah. I also have co-workers who are very firmly in favor of Max. I think that's probably the larger camp overall. I'm, I'm more... Um, I, I, I dislike Simon for more personal reasons, rather. Yeah. Um, Anyways. Uh, <laughs> um and, and, and I dislike Max for more personal reasons. I'm like, I just don't get it. And I, I hate it. the choice he's making. Yeah. Anyway. But, uh, di- um, aside from us disagreeing on, on Max or Simon, 
we do agree that it would probably be better if she found someone well, I mean, different. Yeah, like, I these mean, are like, tough situations and, like, probably not super healthy dynamics mm-hmm. by Max, the end of the series. Max would be better as a lifetime friend, not a relationship yeah. for her. And Simon would be better as a... A, a friend a who friend. maybe moves away at some point. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the TV show that really codified for network television that we're going to build a lot of shows around, well, they won't, they, is Cheers mm-hmm. with the Sam and Diane. And they resolve Sam and Diane by saying, these two are too toxic for each other. They need to move on. Because yeah. after five years of seeing the will they, won't they, they're together, they're apart. I, everyone they, said, please no. That, you yeah. know, they've been horrible to each other to, to create tension and drive them apart. They've been great for each other. But, but by the end, it's like, this is just too toxic, guys. Yeah. So you, you, we're just moving on. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think that was really the right right call there. Well, and I, I think uh, also with, with this show, um, out of all the shows that have dealt with something like that, I think this show is especially well-suited to showing, okay, this seemed like this was the really important romantic through line for a while, and then it dissolved and something else formed, because that's a very real emotional process, Mm -hmm. right? Like, people don't typically spend eight years doing a will-they-won't-they with a co-worker, you know? Not healthy. Certainly not in a healthy (laughs) way. And so it's not something that this show, which is a a lot about healthy emotional processing and, and dealing with the emotions that you're feeling should say is like, hey, sometimes the, the romantic feelings that you're feeling don't work out and then you move on, you process that, that in a healthy way and then a new relationship forms. And, and that's very real, you know, like anyone who's been through, you know, high school and college and, and early work life and, and, you know, had romantic relationships, had them fall apart, had new ones and all that sort of stuff. It's like you, you meet a new person and it forms a new relationship and new relationships are critical and healthy just like the the positive elements of Zoe's relationship with Max, that was a new relationship for both of them, and there's positive elements to it, and it's constructive, and it wouldn't have happened if they weren't exploring the potential of new relationships and friendships and things like that. And and a lot of the times shows set up, you know, it's like, okay, here's our potential couple, first episode. Mm-hmm. No, we can't introduce new people to this. Like <laughs> yeah. the, these are the two that these are these are the stars. These are the, the regulars. You know, yeah. we can't just put new yeah. characters into the show. Well, like, again, referencing uh, the Office Lady podcast, they talk about when they introduced um, Karen Phil Kelly in the third season as, like, a potential obstacle to Jim and Pam being together. There's a, a like, the actress playing her, she said, I got so much hate mail from fans because I mm-hmm. was ruining the Jim and Pam, <laughs> you know, by just by being there. My, like, my presence was a disruption to the world the fans wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I, I hope that this show of all shows really seeks for, like, okay, what is, like, the emotionally healthy thing that they can process, like, is it going to be painful? Yes. Breakups are painful, right? It, like, emotional stuff is uncomfortable. Well, guess we, what? we got breakup songs we can use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, there's a reason that we have so many of them available. Because the thing with both Max and Simon is they both have had feelings with for Zoe, and, um, but it's complicated for both of them, and they're all, all three of them are having complicated feelings mixed in with the with the love that yeah, they have for and, each and other. And there's also like the grief, the friendship, there's fear, anxiety. I mean Zoe's dad is dying. Yeah. There's, like, there's, there's some lot, stress and, and there's trauma. Like emotions. Like every every emotion is at its peak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not the best time to make a romantic romantic decision, decision for, for any of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we talk about Zoe's family? 
Yes. Okay. So, so her, her mom. Specifically mom and dad in this episode. They don't really deal a ton with I the, br- the brother say, and his wife. The brother was bothering me for a while and I couldn't think of why. And then I realized he was one of the long-term evil psychopathic killers on Bones. Yes. The actor that plays uh, the yeah, brother. Yeah. Like, that's why I think he's evil every time it I see took, him on screen. It took me a long uh, time. I was like. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched Bones so I didn't know. Yeah. You're on another TV show that I've seen. And, and I, I hate you. And I hate <laughs> you for that. That I can't figure out what And I don't think I'm supposed to feel that about the character. Of yes. the brother, but immediately yeah. the brother felt slimy to yeah. me. Well, it was because of the association with the other role. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, I mean, also like he's playing a lawyer. He's always like there in a suit, but with a loosened tie. It's like okay, this is like this is like lawyer. I don't quite trust you. TV, you know, like cultural uh, codification of yeah. this role. Yeah. yeah, and and so they and it took them some time to like create the empathy for him. And by the end of the series. I feel a lot more of that, you know, or by the end of the season, I, I keep saying series. No, I it's want so much the more. Of this. Um, <laughs> there will be a season two whenever yeah. TV production can um, start again. <laughs> and, and I think some of that is just from like, okay, we hadn't gotten to his episode. You know, when we get to him, we get to him. And, yeah. and so you have to take time and that's kind of how you have to take, um, several of the characters. You, you kind of have to take that with yeah. coworkers. It takes that. It, it's, it's the same with the boss. Um, but so she's got the brother, but he's not in this episode a ton. It, the more um, critical chunk of her family is is her parents and dealing with their relationship. So she's got the dad and and the mom, and the mom is the caretaker. And let's see, the mom, that's the that's mom. It's Mary Streambergin or Streamberger. I can't remember. Uh, I think Steamburgeon. Okay, I did something. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know it's gonna mess up. Yeah, and Ted Danson's wife. Yeah, so I've heard Ted Danson say it when I listen yeah. to to other podcasts. But um, she is phenomenal in this role. She is it's, it's fantastic. And her frustration that she is having when she knows her husband is trying to communicate something, but she can't understand it. Like it felt so real to me. And I know this would be wildly different, at, you know, because it's at the different end of a life spectrum. But it makes me think of like when my toddler is like angry about something and trying to communicate, and I just cannot understand what my toddler is mm-hmm. saying. I am getting frustrated. And, like, I felt that kind of emotional weight happening as the buzzer was going off, as he was saying no to everything she said to him. As and it's was... such an intense noise. It's like, not that noise. <laughs> yeah, why did they not find anything else? Well, and, and in most cases with this type of thing, there probably would have been some sort of, like, speech therapy support and then, like, declining communication. They would have. Uh, like there are established channels for this hospitals yeah. know this stuff and the doctors would be telling yeah, I don't you, think it would be the brother finding hey remember like, this found, old game I found a buzzer <laughs> yeah, and the then buzzer. and then Zoe had to in the next episode Zoe makes uh, programs like you can just get that get those programs like <laughs> yeah. this stuff should be readily available from hospitals yeah I think they're trying to do a character moment for Zoe but it was another one of those where it's like this doesn't feel like innovative tech yeah like, and the, that side of the well, show well and they and they suggest that he's been non-communicative for several weeks or months even you know yeah, unable so, to express anything to them and it's like okay like and, and i the guess medicine, they, the, medicine the medicine is, is helping now him starting to help him have more facial expressions and, and more and hand movements enough to to push the buzzer mm-hmm. but like there probably should have been some sort of system in place like okay if he if he does get the ability to you know push a button here's here's your yes no button mm-hmm. you know like i think they would have had that ready yeah. but, but but the the buzzer creates the the dynamic and the frustration it heightens the frustration for us immediately yeah as a, as a viewer you you're feeling the frustration every day like, eh. and she and she and she's trying to figure it out and she's got piles of stuff that's been pulled out in boxes and she's like holding up a sailboat is it this is it this yeah and then and then he sings to zoe and and and, <laughs> and she doesn't understand what she doesn't understand to what that's supposed to mean <laughs> um, which to be fair like 
that's what they're saying with the show. Like that's the point of the song that that he used is it's very romantic um and 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 suggesting a romantic evening, but then in talking to her mom about it, she learns it's what it really their, means. Their love story. Their love story. Yeah, yeah. and so it, he's trying to express specifically it's like it's it's not, you know, this it's it's not this like general like romantic evening thing. It's this specific romantic evening that we had when you know, I expressed that I loved you. Yeah. Um, and I, I, going back to uh, the mom and the performance of the mom, one thing that's really interesting is um, like the slow motion mourning that she has to do where mm-hmm. she knows her husband is, is dying. Um, she's losing the communication with him. She's also like, there's scenes where, you know, she's preparing for life without him, but she's also feeling guilt about having to prepare for life without him. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many layers that have to be performed and it's, done with a really strong performance I mm-hmm. and, yeah. and like the um the levels of dedication she shows to him but also um in those same moments showing the level of exhaustion mm-hmm. that that comes with it and um and, and i work in an industry that's that's based on caregiving um in, in my case it's mental health but we talk about the the trauma that comes from caregiving it's called secondary trauma and when you are seeing somebody struggle with something and in this case you know the decline of of a spouse or a loved one it is emotionally exhausting it creates what's called compassion fatigue right and when we use our caregiving system you know our emotional system to provide care and to provide empathy and sympathy and try to support somebody who's struggling with something it creates a type of exhaustion that generally people are not super familiar with because that's not something we have to do on a regular basis. And she is conveying that fantastically. And there's another episode later on where, where she has some breakdowns with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's super real because it's a, a, a stress breaking point, yeah. just like any type of stress, right? People have these breaking points when they are planning their weddings because they get stressed out. And this is an especially challenging one because it's so emotionally tied up. And like you said, you know, the, the guilt of, you know, preparing for life without them, but also the struggle of seeing, you know, the person you love in, mm-hmm. in this kind of condition and, and the effort that goes into taking care of them, all right. of, all of the effort that goes into taking well, care of them uh, in this case. Also like the loss of her own identity, like her identity is being c- consumed by caregiving mm-hmm. and, and, and the change to her husband, she's losing her sense of self in there, but to even like voice that, I yeah, you can tell it would be a guilty thing mm-hmm. to say like, I I'm feeling this. Well, I shouldn't because I'm not the one suffering. He's the, he's the, the idea suffering. of and feeling relief that they would be finally gone. Mm-hmm. It would be is, is tremendous. Like to even allow yourself and, to guilt. process that, and yeah. it's hard for her because you can see through the through the episodes that she's starting to really decline in, in how she's feeling and in her fatigue. It's, it's super that, depressing, fatiguing, exhausting. That, that one thing finally hap- one thing happens that finally gets the family to be like, no, we need we need someone, a professional to come and help take care of of him so that you can have some some peace and some rest and you're not fully focused on on him mm-hmm. because it's it's hurting you as well. Well, and then there's the guilt that comes from not being able to take care of everything. Yeah, right? and it, like, it, it, it takes her a long time, even after even after Zoe and her brother are like, "No, mom, you really you you need someone to help you." And it takes it still. The mom still has a hard time being like, "But, but this is this is I'm his wife. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do." And and it's it's hard to to finally accept that you do need help. It's a super difficult role for her to play for these twelve episodes. I, and 
I was just impressed. Like, like thinking back on the series, I think that might be the performance that most sticks with me. Yeah, because because you do get all those layers of of you know all the emotions that we've just mentioned are all jumbled in together of mm-hmm. of love and affection and guilt and shame and yeah. uh, you know exhaustion like it, it's all there uh, in her performance mm-hmm. and you mentioned the caregiver that comes in I want to say this is one of my favorite characters I, was, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I hope that they find some way to get him into season two because like, I really really yeah. liked well, him and also like they take the time to say once again this person is living their own life and they have their own issues that yeah, he has, yeah. he has a, a concern with his daughter and, and conflict there and so they make you know half of an episode and, about him and they bring in like his, so his daughter's death so just going into it just like <laughs> his daughter is death and they have this beautiful beautiful death um death choreography song musical number musical number uh thank you uh with with the whole uh cast of um, ensemble of deaf actors and it's it's absolutely beautiful, and it's to the song um, Rachel Platten's uh, fight song, and it's just it is. And, really? I, and as someone who who does a little bit of um, knows knows quite a bit of ASL, um, it it was really powerful, and I hope they do more stuff like that. Um, let's talk about her dad for a second too. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking about her mom. Um, really tough performance that Peter Gallagher has to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, of being it, almost almost vegetative, ninety um, percent of the time he's there, and then, and then occasionally leaping up and, dance and, and doing and doing a song and dance number, and then returning back to his position, and um and and it's almost always for a really intense emotional hit. You know, he he doesn't really get to do anything but be there for the emotional gut punch of well, now we have to be there with her dad as he's you know dying, or be there with her dad as he gets to express one of his last emotional outbursts to her. Um, I think that's a really challenging role that he's, he's been handed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I think he does uh, a really good job of, of portraying both of those mm-hmm. um, and not, not making like the, the more vegetative state, almost like you said, like not making a caricature caricature mm-hmm. of someone who's ailing. Um, like he, he does still provide enough emotional cues to know he's feeling something even as yeah. like all the traditional tools of the actor are gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like it's, it's leaning a little uh, bit and, uh, and like looking at somebody with a little bit of a pointed stare, but not too much focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I just really think it's, it's a tremendous performance because he's conveying stuff in both States. You know, it could have been very easy for it to say, yeah, he's completely shut down unless he's singing. And it's like, no, he's he struggles and he is communicating, and then he also occasionally gets to to do the song, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a really a really tricky line to say. Like you said, it it could be you know caricature of, which uh, good to know is Hollywood has a history of some caricature when it comes to portraying illness of any kind <laughs> uh, of going you know so far in, in a direction, and and the actors like really leaning in and having some stuff up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of that sensitivity comes from from the creator having had a personal history and um and and how they show it progress and and you know sometimes the medication's helping more and then the specific challenges come up and and there's dangers and all that sort of stuff. Um and then and then dealing with 
what that means for everyone around him, you know, all the sensitivity that, that his family has and, and their interactions with him and trying to support him and everything. Uh, I, I just want to throw out some kudos to that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, any final thoughts on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist? Um, just a quick shout out to Mo. Oh, we didn't talk about oh, Mo. The, the, not really present in this episode. Yeah, this is yeah. not the biggest Mo episode, but um, Mo is is the the landlord or or neighbor. property manager neighbor. Yeah, so right across the hall, who knows all the music, and Mo's great. Yeah. Mo's just awesome. really like the 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 right balance of supportive and also like critical of Zoe when Zoe is doing a selfish choice. Mo is there as I mean like. I can see that you're doing a selfish choice and, and like still letting it happen mm-hmm. because Mo balances how involved, um, Mo also, how, how involved he should be. Mo also goes between being, uh, team Simon and team Max quite often. <laughs> They're like, Oh, team Max. No team Simon. No. Let's. <laughs> yeah. And so a nice audience surrogate yeah. there. Um, and so I think, I think that's a really interesting role, yeah. but they also give Mo, not just being the audience surrogate, mm-hmm. you know, roles like Mo has, has, um, has his own stuff going on and, and dealing with internal, you know, turmoil. Yeah, so and the there's, there's gender a, fluid they're... and they, they deal with that head on. Yeah. What it means to be gender fluid, but also religious. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so there's an episode focused on, yeah. on all of that. Well, and as I say, uh, like, like Lauren Graham is in the show who I, I think a lot of our listening audience probably loves Lauren Graham from Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels like, they're they're willing to give her musical numbers and she's game to try and go all out but sometimes mm-hmm. they're working around some of her limitations is not being someone who comes from the musical theater tradition yeah. whatever Mo has a musical number it's like, like oh the, the, <laughs> yes the, the, the wonderful beautiful singing yes oh. yeah. and, and such range in, in, mm-hmm. in oh. the performance yeah he he's awesome yeah, yeah. and and they, they really do have like a great cast for um, vocal performance dance performance and, and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod and at Dieterowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at his minute, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. I didn't, I didn't like your, your first run on extraordinary either anyway. <laughs> extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary. What do you want? Which, which I think it's better? extraordinary. I know. Extraordinary. 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 I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to read it.